Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, and it is terrific to have your company once again on the Fox Rugby Podcast as we hover around the halfway stage of the Super Rugby season. There is so much happening. Christy Doran, welcome to you. Thank you very much, Nick. You're looking great in your safari shirt Thanks today. very much. Yes, I've thought safari shirt or safari suits. I've gone the safari shirt today and look forward to next week. I might even wear it in the A couple of Australian shirt. teams, in, well, one in South Africa and That's right. three playing this weekend. So. It's my way of paying homage to, uh, <laughs> to the Australian teams in South Africa. That's exactly right. Now, I uh, have to question you about an opinion piece on foxsports.com.au. Uh, do you write the headlines? Uh, I'd say a fair, a fair few of them. Yeah, often they get often they get changed, and right. you don't really have control of that. But. Opinion: Why Wallabies are behind the eight ball, almost five months out from the Rugby World Cup, and uh, written by Christy Doran. 165 days out from their World Cup opener against Fiji, there can be no doubt. No doubt, rather, the Wallabies are behind the eight ball. If Michael Checker's appearance on Fox Sports on Saturday told you anything, it is that the Wallabies are still miles off the pace now. I was there for you were Czech's appearance on Saturday on uh, on Super Saturday. Um, interesting take. Did you did is that what you took out of that? That that the Wallabies are, are miles off the pace. I thought it was a fairly harsh reaction to what Czech had to say. Okay, Michael Checker is a very convincing man. Usually, uh, you come away often. We've had him on the podcast before, and you you often come away and believing what he's saying. He's that sort of person. He's a big hulking kind of guy. He's he's twice the size of me anyway, and mm. I often I, I do think that. Um, you can tell with the players that he, they ride on emotion a lot of the time off the things that he says. But you had to, I think, question what he was talking about and at times he just didn't seem like he was completely clear with his responses. Um, and and you're walking out of... Hang on, for, for example, what, like what, what didn't he seem completely clear about? I don't think that there, if if you were to compare his responses to an Eddie Jones or a Steve Hansen or a Joe Schmidt who are very structured, they have everything set in stone and they have it miles and months uh, in, in pre-planned. Um, unfortunately, and this has always been the way with Michael Checker, I think, he hasn't really – he's kind of done things on a whim. He's – quite a disorganised person from the outside looking in um, and, and on this and then you look at the, at the Wallabies at the moment and they're still without a, a backs coach almost five months out from a World Cup I don't know another team that, that, that that's in that current situation and and Michael Checker would say okay well when I came to the role in 2015 I didn't our coaching uh, uh, team wasn't set in stone until a similar time uh, out. But this was him being thrown in kind of the deep end after Ewan McKenzie left I, in October. I do hear what you're saying. Uh, and and yes, to an extent, you know, they seem to be dragging the chain on, on the attack coach. But you got to remember, and 2015, I, I, I just wonder to what extent it has a long-term effect. 2015, they ended up being runners-up. Sure, they didn't win the thing, but it was almost, um, you know, against all expectation. They, they, they were Absol- runners-up. Absolutely. The but there was an element of surprise with what the Wallabies were doing then with Michael Checker. Well, he's, just, he's, he's insisting that there in. will be an element of surprise this time. He's, uh, well, there's going to be a lot of surprises because there's style changes, there's new selection panels, there's players that are coming in and out of form, there's, there's missing coaches. Um, uh, there is so much unknown at the moment about which way 
way the Wallaby's going to go. Uh, who knows how much influence Scott Johnson's going to have? He, Michael Checker was saying on the weekend on Saturday that you know their relationship's going all right. That I'm a, a I, I'm someone who um, listens to what other people have got to say, and and uh, you, you kind of almost have to question that at times because we we heard with with Stephen Larkham earlier in the year with the press release that was issued that Stephen Larkham and, and Michael Checker ultimately had to go to different ways because they had a fundamental difference in opinion in attacking philosophies. But, but probably not the first coaching uh, team to ever have uh, differences of, of opinion and certainly not the first coaching team to ever, for one person to, to walk away or lose their job because uh, they didn't get along with the guy who was in charge. You know, you, you're not wrong about that, but for a bloke who is the so-called heir apparent uh, that was anointed by Michael Checker for that to occur, there had to have been a pretty big um, change in, in, in beliefs there. And look, Michael Checker is not the sort of person that, uh, with how he's selected in the past, that's going to, I don't think, necessarily be pushed around. But who knows how much influence Johnson will have or Michael O'Connell will have. Um, that, that was probably the the part of the interview on Saturday that surprised me the most, that they hadn't met. And, you know, Czech made the point, well, Scott Johnson only really has only just got back and virtually since he got back, Czech had been overseas in Europe and then back through Japan. Um, so they hadn't been... I, I must admit to being a little surprised they hadn't even had a bit of a phone hookup or something, the three of them, just to mull over a Absolutely. few things. Absolutely. That, that did take me by surprise. But no, I just I just thought it was... And, and you look at the Wallabies at the moment, they've, they haven't played a test, which is out of their hands, completely out of their control, and they won't play a test until July 20. But you compare that to their main rivals in Pool D, I think it is, Wales, who have already played five test matches, that they're going to have... Yeah, but... They're going to have another four tests... Sure, but what, as you say, what, what can you do about that? Well, what... what you, can't, if, you can't do anything about that. Unfortunately, they are... Uh, the Wallabies would love to have those extra five tests that Wales are having. And yeah, but they can't. What are they going to do? It, all it's coming back to is that they have a running out of time and that they are indeed behind the eight ball because there's so much left to work out. Who the heck their number of ten is? Is it going to be Quade Cooper? Can you trust Quade Cooper? Is Samu Karevia 12 or is he 13? What's your 15? What's your back row? The, the pooper combination that Michael Check was talking about on the weekend. Yeah. There is such little time and how much exper experimentation and when you don't have a backs coach... Sure, but I what I'm saying is I don't think – you're not wrong in anything that you've said there in terms of there's a, a sense of the unknown, but I'm not sure um, that given the year that they had last year, what what do you do about that? I mean, yes, they had a poor year last year. What, what are you suggesting that they do in terms of being uh, more certain about who will play in those positions? They can't – you can't just go, okay, let's play a test match next no, week. No, no. And – and you would agree that last year was poor, and that certainly wasn't by design. It was just by lack of performance. I, I you know, I, what, what's the alternative that you're offering up? I just think that the big one at this stage is for all the players out there. And a former Wallaby was telling me just yesterday, and I asked him if you were a, if you were a back or even anyone in that 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 um, in the mix at the moment, would you like to have a backs coach? already set in place and he said absolutely because you want to be going to people for feedback and knowing what you've got to do and at the moment even though Michael Checker says he's going to have a, a hands-on role whoever the backs coach is and not be involved in tactics you want to be able to be talking to someone and, and be able to present your claims mm. uh, and not only that uh, the backs coach you would hope would be watching 
what's going on. And you can't necessarily assume that, that they're going to be in tune watching pretty much every Australian Super Rugby game. Did you walk away thinking that it was going to be Matt Guido? Uh, some of the comments that that Checker did say made you feel like if it was someone who's going to be on the field um, getting stuck in, uh, that it would be... Matt Guido, um, because you, if, if it's a young bloke... And he, did, he did say he's in Australia at the moment. He did say he's in yeah. Australia at the moment, and he did say he actually listed Gitz as one person that he had spoken to, and, and f- from my understanding that was months ago, but he also did mention Charlotte Kaslick and Phil Kearns, and neither of them will be participating in the, in the Wallabies 15. No. Uh, sorry, coaching... I think Charlotte Kaslick's got probably more chance than Phil Kearns of turning up as the Wallabies attack coach. Pr- probably right. Probably right. All right. Um, no, I... I if if you if you're listening and you want to go and, and have a read of what Christy wrote and what he ta- what he took out of uh, of Michael Checker's interview on on Super Saturday, please do so. Interested to get uh, your take on it. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, looking forward to catching up with uh, Gary Ella a little bit later in the podcast. Of course, the sad news of the death of uh, Lloyd McDermott, uh, a pioneer for. Indigenous players in this country, the first Wallaby to identify as an Indigenous man, passed away uh, earlier this week at the age of 79. So we'll chat to Gary about that. And also coming up, Tate McDermott from South Africa. Um, looking forward to having a chat with him too. So the Reds are on their African safari. And uh, and Tate, one of the stars in the Reds' win over the Stormers on the weekend. Absolutely outstanding, wasn't it? And you, you were up there on, yep. on, in Brizzy and you would have been hearing the comments from, from Rod Kafer and Greg Martin and so forth but uh, Tate was for the what, third straight week starting and um, he's been uh, in their fourth fourth week I think starting and he's been in every one of the, the wins so um, he, he's a bloke who is threatening the line and that's the most pleasing thing. You, you look at the, uh, the, the halfback's for, for quite a few years and we haven't been playing off nine and we haven't been probing the line enough but here's a young bloke who's 20 who's threatening all the time and he was at the heart of their win over the Stormers. My understanding is that um, when he first came on the scene and even earlier this year uh, everyone at the Reds recognised his talent just wasn't talking enough they were saying mate you've got to start talking you've got to be you know the little general out there you know make, you, make yourself known and, uh, and he started to do a bit more of that and I don't think it's any surprise that uh, off the back of that has come a couple of uh, really solid performances and, uh, and he certainly is having an impact at the Reds. Uh, so too is Samu Karevi. How long for, we don't know because that news... Well, it looks like... It, looks like he's gone, doesn't he, it? He's yep. gone. He's very much gone, which yep. is a great... To, to Japanese rugby? Yeah, yeah. It's a great tragedy that he, that he is because he's um, probably the most important player to any... Australian Super Rugby Club at the moment, if you think. Mm. He's been carrying that back line for a couple of years. Unfortunately, he hasn't had much help around him, but he's a gigantic loss and a bloke that certainly could have uh, played a huge role in Australian rugby, particularly for the Wallabies going forward, and, and play that Mar Nonu type uh, of mm. role if he was at 12, I think, too. Mm. And, of course, the discussion around Samu at the moment is where he might fit into that, uh, that Wallabies lineup. As well, are you, are you happy with him at, at twelve or or even thirteen 
for the Wallabies. Well, he's played pretty much. Or he's, he, he made his debut at 12 uh, for the Wallabies um, with, with Tavita Kiranjani at 13. But it's a, it's a hard and ask when you, you're making your debut three years down the track and um, he looks a much stronger, uh, wiser player and he certainly his defence has is improving. But he's just so destructive with his ball carrying that you couldn't play him anywhere else, I don't think, but 12. But once again, that goes against what Michael Checker's attacking philosophy has been ever since he came back to Australian rugby in 2013. All right. Well, let's get a word with uh, Tate McDermott. Hopefully he's up and about in South Africa. And uh, Tate McDermott from the Reds coming your way. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Hey, Tate, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. How are you enjoying South Africa, mate? Yeah. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, I'm loving it, eh? Um, I got a little taste of it last year when we went to Cape Town, and Joburg's a whole different, whole different story. So, um, absolutely loving it. I only really spent two days here, um, but yeah, our, our hotel's amazing, and, and the people are friendly, and, and yeah, so far really good. Good to hear, Tate. Now, mate, we're calling you. It's pretty early. Uh, I think it's seven a.m. or so over in Joburg at the moment. So, wh- how have you got yourself up? Have you had a coffee or two? Um, yeah, well, I don't know. My roomie, Angus Scott Young, hasn't been, hasn't been sleeping that well, so I was up pretty early this morning. Um, just, we're just trying to get rid of, uh, you know, trying to adjust to the time over here, so, um, didn't, did, I'm not a big coffee man, so I, I kind of used the pool to, to wake me up this morning, but, um. Yeah, there's some inspiration, Nick. Good, good move, good move. <laughs> hey, Angus is a um, he's a bit of a study nerd, isn't he? Has he got has he got all his uni books with him? Is he doing assignments? Uh, yeah, he's a pretty boring room. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> he, lo- he, <laughs> he loves his luffy, so he's he's always on that. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's uni break at the moment, but otherwise he'd be he'd be head down into the books. So Tate, when you when you get over there, because clearly a lot of people just think that you know you go over there and then you just acclimatise, you adjust your body clock. But what do you actually do in the first day or two when you do arrive in South Africa? Um, so we arrived at night actually, in the first time we got here, and um, we had a team dinner, and I think that was just to keep us awake. Otherwise, we all would have been out. So um, ended up getting back at about nine o'clock, nine thirty, and, and and we went to sleep. But straight in the morning. Um, Kraft has organised a swim squad, which is um, not as popular as you thought it would be. So, <laughs> yeah. um, starting at seven just to get us used to um, waking up. And the pool over here, for some reason, isn't heated, so it's it's pretty. I thought it'd be really really warm over here, but it's pretty cold at the moment. So, um, we started our day with a, with a bit of a swim squad, and um, then yesterday the morning was was pretty chilled. It's just really just reviewing the Stormers game and um, previewing the Bulls game. So, um, And then obviously in the afternoon we went over to a, to a local school over here and, and had a little bit of a training session and, and a bit of a gym session. So Yeah, nice. Um, yeah. Um, and I guess it's uh, clear blue skies and quite chilly in the morning. It's not something that a Sunshine Coast boy would be uh, quite used to. The, the water's still warm on the sunny coast at this time of year. You, you're coping all right? Yeah, mate, I, I, the, the coast is beautiful, eh? Um, I, I never really get up there, but uh, as much as I as, as I as I'd like to, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's I'm batting a little bit with this cold water. It's it's pretty 
it surprised me a little bit. Tate, we'll talk some rugby in a moment and maybe just recap the, uh, the Stormers and look ahead to the Bulls. But firstly, can we just get something on the record here with, with your haircut? So you've chopped your, you've chopped your locks <laughs> off last year a few rounds into the competition. Can you tell us why, why that was, why you went away from your long locks? Oh, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got to be careful what I say here, but... Um, Nah, I, 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 it was kind of, it was getting to the point where it was getting a little bit wild. Um, and I think it was the, the Bulls game last year. Um, I, I, they went they went for the headband, so they, they tried to take it off a little bit. And uh, I think it ended up coming off. So uh, that was probably my calling. And, and, and Thorny approached me on the flight to Argentina and said he's got a job for me. And he wants me to get rid of it. So, um, you know, when Thorny tells you to do something, you don't usually say no so um had to go had to go get it cut in argentina and um yeah that was basically yeah. all, all part of it as a 19 20 year old just trying to make it uh, in in rugby yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, I, I, and you're right. Thorny's not your sort of your long haired kind of guy. Is he? He's <laughs> more of your more of your sort of straight down the line kind of haircut guy. So you, you're fitting you're fitting the program. Hey, uh, just one one quick one on uh, altitude. So have you guys? You know, when you go over as a team, do you talk about strategies to? Uh, to deal with playing at altitude? Is there anything that you can do at training this week? Do you have any ideas how it might affect you? Um, well, we have spoken about it a little bit. I think um, I personally have never played at altitude, so um, I'm kind of just relying on, on the boys around me that, that, that have played at altitude. We've been training at, at a little bit of altitude and we'll, and we'll head over to Loftus today. Um, but for me, I've just got to watch the, the kicks go a little bit further over here, I think, so... Um, just just around that that kind of stuff, and obviously you're going to get pretty tired um, if you're not used to it. So hopefully today at training we we kind of adjust to it a little bit, but um, yeah, should should be pretty interesting to see how it all goes. Tate, one of the things that you've uh, clearly been getting a, a, some plaudits about has been your running game over the over the first few rounds of the competition, particularly since you've started um, well, you've, you've come into the running side. Uh, like the idea of running, it's always a fine balance between distributing and taking the line on. How are you finding that? And have you had people telling you that they want is like your role really to to, to take the line on? Yeah, I think. Um to start the season, my job was basically just to distribute the ball. So um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really get to run as much as I, I'd like to, just because of the game plan we were trying to, you know, put forward. But um, over the past few weeks, you know, Jimmy's kind of really given me a license to run. I think for me, um, I'm getting caught a little bit with the ball, so that's that's something I've got to work on. Um, kind of, um, you know, working out when to run and when not to run. So. Um, but yeah, definitely, we've we've had a huge focus on, you know, attacking those defenders around the ruck, and um, you know, I thought we did really well against the Stormers. You know, the whole team just really sticking to that game plan, and, and you know, it makes it so much easier for me when the boys are getting out and, and, and talking to me like like Higgy and like, like Sams and a few of the other boys that are that are running off my hips. So um, yeah, it, it makes it really easy when we when we've got that because the defenders sit down and, and you can create holes for them. So. Um, 
It was a beautiful ball that you put to um, Scotty Higginbotham as he ran behind you and, and you put him through a hole just in the lead up to your try. Um, uh, uh, back to Nick's question and talking about attitude and the idea of kicking more, how do you now approach this game um, knowing that you're running and you're doing that very successfully but you, you don't want to often overkick uh, this weekend either, do you? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the, def- the Stormers, oh, sorry, the, the Bulls are exactly, they defend exactly the same as us, really. So, um, you know, they have a few people in the backfield. So I think we've really got to work out. Um, and, you know, Heggie's, he- Bryce Heggie's a really good manager of the game. So we'll, we'll be, we're going through our preview today, but um, I'm sure it'll be a, a big focus on running the ball first and, and then kicking. So um, obviously if we're in our own half, getting the ball out, but, um, I, I think you'll see a similar game to what we what we did against the Stormers come out um, in Loftus. So. Hey, Tate, we're uh, yeah. round about the halfway mark now of the season. How would you assess the Reds' season so far? Oh, look, I think I think particularly that we had a we had a really good start against the Highlanders. Obviously, didn't get get that result, but um, you know, I thought that was a really complete performance, and and obviously falling at the final hurdle really hurt. Um, so I guess the start, the start, while it wasn't, um, you know, result-wise, wasn't amazing. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good, to be honest. So um, following that up, we had a bit of a bit of an interesting game against the Crusaders. Went went into the break, I think it was seven nil. So, um, and, but I think for us, really, it's just about, you know, teams aren't necessarily beating us. We're beating ourselves just with our mistakes and with our poor, poor management sometimes, and. Um, you know, I think think the store uh, the uh, the Tars was a big big turning point for us. Um, you know, obviously a really disappointing performance against against someone we haven't beaten for a while. So um, heading over to Japan, we also had another slow start, um, and then the second half we managed to come back. So I think I think that was also a huge moment in our season, um, and we went on to beat the Brumbies at home, and and then. You know, I think for us it's really about finding consistency also. You saw with the Rebels game, um, you know, there's two different teams that can show up for us and, it, and it's all about getting rid of that. So, um, you know, I thought he's had a huge focus on, on, on consistency and, and playing smart footy and, um, you know, we're, st- we're still a work in progress, but I, th- I think we're, we're coming along in leap, leaps and bounds. So. Um, yeah. Tate, speaking of consistency, and, and we'll let you go in a moment because you, I'm sure you've got to get back to that swimming training. And um, uh, okay. but, but but before that, obviously there's been a lot of talk about you in the last couple of weeks. Um, there always is in a World Cup year about talking about Test match footy and can someone play for the Wallabies and so forth. How are you managing? You know the the hype, I suppose, around you because your, your name has come in the headlines over the last few weeks. Oh look! Oh, to be honest, I don't really read um, much much on Facebook. So um, you know, if I'm getting something, it's it's Mum sending me a photo from the Sunny Coast Daily or, <laughs> or something like that. So um, look, I I just want to be playing the best footy for Queensland. I haven't even looked at playing, um, you know, and I, and I don't think I'm in that in that fold at the moment. You know, there's there's Will Guinea obviously got. Got the stranglehold over the jersey, and and so he should. He's been playing unreal footy this year, and then you've got the likes of, you know, Jake Gordon, Nick Phipps, and um, and Joe Power. So, look, I haven't even looked at at that. I'm interested in playing, um, you know, the best footy in the nine jersey for Queensland, and 
And if I'm consistently doing that, um, then then I can look at that. But but at the moment, I've got a lot to work on in terms of my, my pass and and and, and a bit of a bit other stuff around the park. So um, yeah, not not so much looking into that into that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Tate, what did you learn from uh, coming up against Will Guinea a couple of weeks ago? Because you, you did say, yep, he's, he's the clear out and out number nine at the moment. Yeah, look, I, I learned a lot. Um, you know, there's a few little tricks that he that, that he put on me. One dive, diving over the ruck to grab my head. Um, <laughs> and, and another one off the scrum where, where he's put a, put a foot out and kicked the ball. So, um, look, I've, I've watched him for years. So to come out against him, you know, is 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 pretty special. And... Um, you know, I, I I continue to watch his footage just because I want to, you know, continue to prove as a player. And obviously, um, you know, if he's the best nine in Australia, he's, he's doing a lot of things right. So, um, you know, I'll continue to, to learn off him. But but um, there's a lot of little tricks that he that he put into not only the Rebels game but but also heaps of games this year that that I'm you know looking at and and trying to improve on. So. He yeah. is uh, he is the wily old man of uh, of Australian halfbacks, Tate. Um, listen, whether it's this year, mate, or whether it's uh, in in years to come, the consensus seems to be that uh, your opportunity will come at some stage. But in the more immediate term, go well against the Bulls this weekend and uh, enjoy that first experience around about the 60, 65 minute mark. That first <laughs> experience at altitude, you'll love it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Cheers, mate. Tate. Thanks. Tate McDermott enjoying his time in uh, beautiful downtown Johannesburg. Tate McDermott, is he going to be maybe sneaking onto that plane to the World Cup, a World Cup bolter? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, he's young. Uh, Morgan Terranui and Cam Shepherd were saying on Friday night for the kick-on uh, kick program, look, do we need to just hold up a moment? We're, we're pretty good at talking up someone after yep. one or two performances. but yep. Hello, Jordan Pataira, if you're, missing, <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he's played a season now. But uh, McDermott himself, look, his main challenge is certainly Will Genny is going to be your number nine. And then it's who's, who's your backup? Is it, is it Nick Phipps? Is it Jake Gordon? Or is it Tate McDermott? I would think that given Phipps's experience, he'll be there. He's a great defender. He's a good workhorse. He hasn't necessarily come back in great form after his calf injury. His pass is still, as as always throughout his career, hasn't been brilliant. But but Jake Gordon, he's another bloke who needs to run the ball more. We we had uh, just just the other week Dan Parks on on the on the podcast, and he was saying that Jake Gordon's great strength is running the, the ball, but he doesn't do enough of it, unfortunately. So McDermott's doing that. And I would think that if you want a bloke to score you a try um, who can come on and provide a bit of X factor at the moment, that's Tate McDermott. So I think he's a strong chance. Just as a little sidebar, I do find myself giving myself an uppercut every now and again about you're right about how we start to talk up young players in Australia. They string two or three good games together. It's almost like we're so desperate for this next big thing in Australian rugby. You're guilty of it as well. Don't, oh, don't we're, nod we're, your head. We're, we're all guilty of yeah. it. But, it, but at the same time, yeah, you're right. I don't think there's anything, there's any harm in, in talking someone up if it's talking about what they're doing well and also what they're doing poorly. We yeah. all recognise that Tate's running game is brilliant. He's still got a lot of work to do with his passing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not finding the mark all the time. But, you know, headlines can headlines can often uh, don't always tell the, the story about what's being painted in the actual article or itself. Yeah. No, no, I, I just really hope that, uh, that Tate, he's such a, a great young bloke. I, I hope that he 
just continues to develop at the pace that he has so far because, uh, yeah, possibly, uh, possibly, not banking on it, but nah. possibly a, a big future ahead of him. We, uh, we shall see. All right, the team that the Reds beat last week, the Stormers, they've headed south for their last game on a, on a four-match swing through New Zealand. They want to go home. They, don't do, they? they do want to go home. <laughs> they, you, you would, wouldn't you? Because it's been uh, fairly um, long and not terribly fruitful for the Stormers uh, the last three or so weeks, and, and they come up against the top team in the Australian Conference this weekend, and uh, and on paper, it's a tough ask for the Stormers. They've uh, lost a couple more players, uh, and and the Rebels are, well, they're looking pretty good at this stage. Absolutely. No, say Khaleesi, so they're missing the Springbok captain mm. at the moment, and, and he's a real leader uh, at the Stormers, certainly. So, yeah, big uh, big out for them, and you look at what the Rebels are doing at the moment. They are score, They are red hot, particularly off first phase ball um, from set pieces. They, all five tries on the weekend that they scored were, were from set piece um, from first phase. So they're having no trouble scoring, and, and that comes down to Will Genia, Quade Cooper, and the forwards doing their job. Found it really interesting to uh, to listen to the language uh, that the Rebels were using uh, after the game on Saturday night last week. Um, and we spoke to uh, to Billy Meeks yeah. and to also Reese Hodge and Dave Vessels as well. And no one's getting carried away. Um, no one's talking up their chances. And it's in direct contrast to the same stage last year where they'd had such a successful start to the season. This is around about where things went pear-shaped last year. What did they lose? Six or seven of their last nine. They only had to win, I think, one game of their last three to sneak into the finals. And if you remember Dave Vessel saying pre-season that missing the finals last year was probably the best thing that could have ever happened because if they had won one of those last three games, they would have sneaked in, would have all walked around, patting each other on the back. How good are we? We made our first final series. Whereas not making it made them sit down, look at the things they needed to change. And I think the Rebels at this stage of the seeing, uh, season rather are seeing the fruits of that self-analysis. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're bang on the money. I think the other thing with that which is helping is someone like Quade Cooper who's coming back who knows that every match that he's playing he's under the microscope and he can't walk around with a big head at all because he's trying to make the Wallaby side prove a lot of people wrong. He's still trying to prove Brad Thorne wrong probably every week he steps onto the field, I would think. Um, and then Will Guinea is playing for what he wants, a longer contract. So there's a lot of guys there that have, you know, the, the super rugby season is their path going forward. Um, but I think going with the Rebels, like their defence in the, the 10, 15 minutes after half time, they'd conceded one or two quick tries. Funnily enough, we, we would cross to, to Dave Vessels who was saying we've just got to, you know, we, there was some... <laughs> And, and and we had to go, I think, pretty quickly because yeah. clearly they scored and Dave would have been tearing his hair out of that stage. But they did well to defend and make a couple of try-saving tackles on their own line, which then led to the Rebels being able to, to do what they do very well, mm. which is play footy. And Sean Byrne has got to get a lot of credit there, the the attack coach too. I wonder if he's um, in the conversation about the Wallabies uh, attack coach. He would be because Michael Checker tried to actually, from what I've been told, Michael Checker tried to, or he rang Sean Byrne and, and even contemplating getting him for the Waratahs assistant back coach uh, back in 2012 to, to bring him back for 2013. Right. So, so Checker has, has a long... Um, 
uh, he, he knows Sean Byrne and he certainly respects him. And, and a lot of people will go, look, if, if Stephen Larkin wasn't around in the, in the 90s, early 2000s, then Sean Byrne would have played a lot of matches for Australia. Uh, so you, you've got no qualms, the, the Rebels over the, the Stormers who are on their way home? You would think so, but the, the, the big question still over the Rebels is probably the, the scrum, and, and that's one thing that the Stormers are typically pretty strong at is that, is that set piece. So if there's a concern going through to this weekend, it, it's certainly around the set piece. There's a South African flavour to, uh, to both nights, Friday and Saturday night in Australia. The Brumbies at home on Saturday night to the Lions, who were absolutely torn apart by the Sharks. Um, if you're in any sort of tipping competition, I'm not sure whether anybody saw that coming. What's the I South African isn't. conference? Have you pe- it's it's no. hard to pick one out of the South it's, it's a coin toss every week. It's it's amazing. But anyway, so the Lions, uh, they're out of Johannesburg um, to, uh, to take on the Brumbies. Um, they're a much diminished side, the Lions, from what they have been over the last few years they certainly don't look the the same side so perhaps an opportunity for the Brumbies this week they need it don't they because a couple of losses on the bounce now for the Brumbies and and their final series really rests on or them qualifying for the playoffs really rests on on winning and winning soon because they haven't been on tour yet to to South Africa so um the Brumbies need this one and, and look they were seven nil up against the Crusaders on the weekend and they were playing pretty good rugby um but Without the likes of uh, without the likes of uh, Scott CEO for yeah. our flying, our Rory Arnold, no yeah. David Pocock, the depth was always going to be pushed and stretched, and, and they struggled in that second half. Well, doesn't help as Christian Leliafano said. You you uh, most sides have got their work cut out beating the Crusaders with fifteen men on the park. Yeah, so they went twenty minutes in that second half with fourteen men, two yellow cards. I think it was Sam Carter and Tony Pulu, wasn't it? So. High tackles as well. Yeah. Slightly lazy. I know that players sometimes they duck a little bit and so forth and Sam Carter, big man, but they've got to get the tackles lower. There's no doubt about that. So discipline will be an issue against the Lions on on Saturday night for the Brumbies and I'm sure that is something they've spoken about this week. And, of course, uh, the Waratahs... um, before we came on, I said the Waratahs have got a much-needed buy, and you said, is it much-needed? I, I mean, that's that's a discussion in itself. It, it feels to me like they're going to appreciate having the buy, that they've just stumbled and bumbled their way to this point in the season, and that maybe it's just an opportunity to, to reset. Well, it's funny, because the, the, the second round of the season, they had a buy as well. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and they were going, oh, geez, like, you've just started. You actually want to play a few games to get back and get some momentum going and get the combinations right. Unfortunately, uh, it's been all season, the, the back line, the, particularly the inside backs, has just been there's been one bloke in, one bloke out. Uh, they can't find any continuity at the moment. And, yeah, I think you're right. They probably good opportunity after a couple of losses to go away you know, a couple of days off with the families and so forth and then come back in. But they also look like a team that does need to play a lot uh, together, and particularly the likes of Foley at 10. And it, it, that, that, that error that, that uh, happened between Falau and Kirtley Beal in the 60th minute where Marnano picks yeah. up the ball, that comes down to surely it's the second week in a row. We saw it against the Sunwolves as well. Guys not knowing what their roles are and what they're supposed to be doing and when to call off plays because uh, they're, they're not spending enough time out there together. Yeah. So uh, I think that they probably need to. Hopefully, there's from a Waratahs perspective that that this rotation policy, the much vexed rotation policy, that the guys can just be left alone now. A lot of them have had a one week or two weeks off. 
get in there, start playing some more rugby together because the Rebels, the, the next weekend after, wow, that's a huge game for, for the Waratahs. Mm. Uh, the, the Rebels can certainly pretty much seal the, the competition if they win that. Um, in the Tars' favour, we have seen them gain momentum at the back end of a season before mm. uh, and they will certainly need to do that post this by uh, once again in, in 2019. All right, um, and of course the sad news, and it's probably the biggest story in rugby this week, um, the death of Lloyd McDermott at the age of 79 earlier this week. Uh, Lloyd McDermott, the first um, man to play for the Wallabies to identify as, uh, as Aborigine. He played for the Wallabies in 1962. Uh, he was a pioneer in the sense that he was the first Indigenous man to, uh, to become a barrister in Australia. And, uh, and he also uh, had great strength of conviction uh, in his political beliefs as well. We're going to talk about all of that with uh, a man who knew him well, one of the Ella brothers, Gary Ella. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Gary, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Terrific to have your company, mate. Mate, it's a pleasure, Nick. Um, firstly, our condolences uh, to you. I know that Lloyd McDermott um, obviously meant a great deal to you. Can you describe your relationship with Lloyd? Yeah, it's a, it's a very sad um, period that we're going through at the moment. Lloyd was. Uh, such a great mentor to quite a few of uh, young Aboriginal um, people, whether they were playing rugby or, or not, whether they were getting involved with sport. He had a passion for, for rugby, obviously, being you know the first Aboriginal identified uh, wallaby. He was uh, pretty good at what he was doing and he knew what he was talking about. Um, but the fact that he was Australia's first barrister as well, you know, was an extra string in his bow. And, you know, the fact that he grew up in such a, a disadvantaged uh, community that he, that he originally came from, it's, it's a great effort. His, his achievements over his lifetime were outstanding. What influence did he have on you personally? Well, you, you and, and your two brothers. Yeah, he, I, I first met Lloyd after, pretty much after I, we were playing, but he uh, always instilled in us, you know, that we had to give back to the community. He was one of these people that said, you know, we were lucky. We're the ones that were given the opportunities early on in our careers. And, you know, we need to do that to our young people, to encourage them to do well in sport, to encourage them to do well in their lives and their career choices. Yeah, Gary, uh, Christy here. Um, can you just talk us through uh, like your relationship and, and maybe even in, in more recent years, just the, the some anecdotes or, or, or things that uh, you'll look back and think, geez, what a character he was? Yeah, it was funny. The first time I met Lloyd was actually at a function at, uh, at Pier, one of the walls down at uh, Pier, uh, down at Darling Harbour. I think it was Pier 4. Uh, and we were down there and, uh, you know, the first time I met him and he said to me, one of the first things he said, he says, why don't we have more Aboriginal wallabies? And I said, well, if you put your money where your mouth is um, and, and get us a few dollars then we'll put together some camps and we'll start working on it. About two weeks later, he said, well, I've got the money. <laughs> he said, got, got about five of his uh, lawyer, uh, lawyer mates and they put in a, a few dollars each and they said, I've got the money and you've got to put this camp together and, you know, and we'll go from there. And, you know, that started out in a pretty small sort of budget. It started out with uh, with 14 players, you know, and then 
later on. Um, we incorporated as an as an Aboriginal organisation, and we were bringing in, you know, half a million dollars a year, uh, and we were we were mentoring thousands on a yearly basis, and it was pretty much on his inspiration. He's uh, he's the one that was pushing it, um, and he's the you know he's been our leader right from the start. But that was about uh, twenty five years ago that we started. I was going to ask you about his legacy, and I guess that is it the uh, the trickle down effect that um, him being a, a trailblazer uh, at the elite level of the game, but the trickle down effect that he's been able to um, have over, as you say now, uh, you know more than a, a quarter of a, a century. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been one of those people that's always been there. You know, he's, he's someone that we could always fall back on um, to, to seek advice. He was always some man to give, give a few of our players a, a bit of a legal advice on the wrong as well. <laughs> um, that was always handy for for a few. But no, he's been uh, he's been an inspiration to us. So you mentioned that he uh, was the first Australian Rugby Union international to identify as an Indigenous Australian, also the first Indigenous Australian to become a barrister. That A couple of the ways there that he was a trailblazer. But I guess uh, his courage in refusing to go to South Africa in 1963, his, uh, his personal protest against apartheid, that will be something that uh, I guess is an inspiration to a lot of people that uh, the, the strength of his conviction will be remembered uh, as well. Yeah, it certainly was. He didn't talk about that. Uh, you know, obviously we all knew because, you know, because it was a well-known fact and that the fact that he didn't want to travel to South Africa as, as an honorary white person was, you know, it's just a, a credit to his conviction. He also, at different stages, uh, knocked back the Queen's honour on, on a number of occasions, at least on three occasions, that uh, that I was notified that you know he'd been nominated and he was likely to win him. But uh, on each each occasion, he said no, no, Aboriginal people are not treated equally in this country yet. Therefore, I'm, I can't, in all honesty, accept the awards and. That's just the way he was. He was uh, he was pushing for Aboriginal rights. He was trying to encourage kids to, to higher education, and he was just a, a knock around guy who, you know, had the opportunities and took them. Mm, absolutely, and and more recently uh, with the Indigenous jersey, the the two of you were out when it was unveiled just to, what eighteen months ago. Or so that would have been a pretty proud moment for Lloyd uh, too, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, it, we we uh, stood in the photo, the first lot of photos that were taken with uh, with Curtly Beal actually wearing it. Yeah, Lloyd was chuffed, and then we went to uh, Brisbane shortly after that and watched Australia beat the All Blacks. Uh, and I remember he was uh, he was very happy uh, with that. Lloyd was was getting old, um, yeah, pretty quickly, and he has had a couple of health problems along the way. But we had a Wallaby caps as well that we were wearing, and I remember he dropped one. Uh, and he actually bent over to pick it up and he couldn't get back up. And all the Australian rugby staff were all panicking. They thought he was having a heart attack at that stage. <laughs> and they come and got off me. And when I went down to pick him up, he said, no, I'm okay. I just dropped my hat. I was just having trouble picking it up. It caused a major panic in the box. <laughs> um, and I don't know whether you're aware, but uh, the negotiations are almost complete, as I understand it. They may have even been signed off on by World Rugby for the Wallabies to have the Indigenous jersey as their alternate strip at the World Cup. So that's pretty special too, isn't it? Yeah, that will be. You know, that jersey has uh, meant a lot to, to all of us, you know, and the, and the fact that 
the, the Aboriginal community are very proud of that jersey. And, you know, I watched, uh, went down to Scots College on the weekend to watch their, their seventh tournament they have, and the Scots actually played in a, in a jersey in the same colours that was designed by the same Aboriginal artist, uh, and it looked, uh, looked really good on the Scots boys as well. <laughs> and, and just finally, before we let you go, um, what, what do you think... <sighs> You know, you've got Kirtley Beale there at the moment. He's the pin-up boy for Indigenous rugby in Australia at the moment. Do you think that um, that we've reached a tipping point and there, and there will be more players represent at provincial level and, and also national level in, in the coming years? Can you see that, uh, that there'll be an improvement in that level of representation? And I guess if it does happen, we have to sheet it home to Lloyd. Yeah, we've got a number of players that are actually playing in the Super Rugby tournament this year. Um, as it is, uh, Harrison Goddard uh, is playing. Uh, as is Soretti is uh, playing for, for Queensland. Um, Cody Cody Walker is uh, on the on the bench of the New South Wales team. So we do have some young players that are that are coming through, that are playing at uh, at super level. Hopefully, we'll get a few more going through and playing for the Wallabies as well. And Gary, we really do appreciate your time today and uh, just sharing some of your memories of Lloyd McDermott. Thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, no problem. See you guys. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Gary joining us on the Fox Rugby podcast and uh, that about wraps up another podcast. Christy, where are you going to be this weekend? Are you in the office doing some work or are you off gallivanting? Certainly be working. There's no doubt about that, mate. Right. A couple of big games ahead. Can't wait for them. I think mm. that Crusaders Highlanders one of, on Friday afternoon, 5.35. I'm looking forward to that one in particular. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, as I said before, a little bit of an African flavour for the Aussie teams this weekend with the, the Reds and the Bulls and the Rebels and the Stormers and uh, the Brumbies and the Lions. So looking forward to... Uh, to that across the weekend. Um, jump on iTunes if you enjoy, actually, even if you don't enjoy listening yeah, tell to us. the Fox Rugby podcast, let us know. But, uh, yeah, give us a, a review. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you next week as we head into the second half of the Super Rugby season for 2019. Thanks, Nicholas.